Let me ask you a question today. Aren't you glad that God never forsakes you? I've actually had people uh, say, you know, I, I just wish God would leave me alone. Have you ever heard someone say something like that? They feel that God's after them or something bad is happening to them and they blame God for it and they just say, I wish God would leave me alone. They feel like he's picking on them. Well, I don't feel that way. and I, I mean, not me. I, I love God. I love everything that uh, he does for us. I love it when I encounter God in new ways. Um, so let me ask you, have you experienced God lately? Or has it been one of those situations where you just sort of wish you knew where God was in your life? I mean, we all suffer from time to time. We all go through some difficulties here and there, various different ways. But is there something beyond our suffering? Is there a reward if we remain faithful to God in the midst of suffering? Well, I believe that there is. The reward for remaining faithful is glory. Let me say that again. The reward for remaining faithful is glory. We get to share in the glory of God. And that's the message of the book of 1 Peter. And this is the book that God will use to speak to us in the next number of months. And so I invite you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. And today we'll just look at a couple of verses, verses 1 and 2. It's really just the introduction. But as you're turning there, know this, that the book of 1 Peter has an incredibly timely message for our day. It talks about what to do when times are bad. It talks about how to withstand governmental oppression for your faith. It talks about how to have a good relationship with those that you work with. It talks about how to have a strong marriage. It talks about what God thinks about you. What does God think about you? Today I hope that you'll encounter God, and if you do, you'll have an opportunity to respond to him. But right now I want you to think about someone that you know, just anyone. Think about someone that you, can, you know. It could be someone that's close to you. It could be someone maybe that's not so close to you. Whoever it is that you're thinking of, they're having a hard time with something today. They might not even feel it at the very moment. It doesn't mean that everyone's suffering to the same degree, but there's, there's difficulties for every one of us. And whoever you're thinking of is having a hard time with something. Maybe you know what they're going through. Maybe you don't. Maybe if you do know what they're going through, you've been through it yourself. You've walked in the shoes that they're soon to fill. When you're going through a hard time, isn't it encouraging when someone who cares about you has walked in your shoes? You don't feel like you're totally alone. When Amy and I were expecting uh, Timothy, our firstborn uh, child, um, we received a lot of unsolicited advice about how to be a good parent. And, uh, and that was fine, you know, not ever having parented I can tell you on the other end of things, now that we've raised three kids, it, I think now, maybe only now, we, we've, we've got it down. We took a lot of practice. Amy's shaking her head no. But uh, 
She just doesn't want me to uh, bring home a, a child like I brought home a stray dog uh, earlier this week. But, but nevertheless, we got a lot of advice from people who had never parented a kid. They seem to be the most knowledgeable, if you ask them, about what to do as a parent. And, uh, and, and so that was sort of unique and a little bit off-putting, I guess. But I want you to know that the book of 1 Peter, in fact, the entire Bible was written by people who've been there. And so when we read these words about going through suffering, we read these words about um, how to deal with uh, struggles in marriage and how to deal with relationships with people uh, that you that you uh, love and you care for or maybe your employees your employer when we read about these things it's from people who've been there and if we needed godly counsel on being faithful through suffering the apostle peter would be a good advisor i mean not only did peter himself personally know about enduring suffering but the first book that bears his name the book of first peter in this book, he was writing to some Christians who themselves were suffering because of their faith in Christ. And so in the first two verses of the first chapter of 1 Peter, we read this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who were chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You know, Peter knew what it meant to suffer for Christ. He begins this letter by simply introducing himself. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. How do we know that Peter knew about suffering? Well, there's a lot of stories about Peter in the Bible. A lot of accounts of what happened in his life but I want you to think back to uh, when he was first called to be an apostle he first heard about Jesus through through his uh, brother Andrew but it wasn't immediate that that Peter began to follow Christ Peter learned a lesson when he eventually did that he when you follow Christ you've got to leave something behind when you decide to follow Christ you have to leave something behind Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 18 tells us what Peter had to leave behind to follow Christ. Listen to these words. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, that's talking about Jesus. As Jesus was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, that's Peter, and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him what did Peter have to leave behind he had to leave behind his nets what were his nets his nets was that was his career Peter had to leave behind his career in order to follow Christ in fact Peter had to be away from his family for extended periods of time to follow Christ and it was a price that he was willing to pay let me ask you today, what are you willing to leave behind in order to follow Christ? When you leave something behind in order to follow Christ, you are suffering to some degree for your faith in Him. And Peter learned that following Christ means exactly that, that you have to share in the sufferings of Christ. In verse 1, Peter called himself an apostle. 
The word apostle means a person who is sent by someone in order to speak or act on behalf of the person who sent him. And specifically, the apostles, we know who they were. They were the 12 men that were chosen. One fell away and was replaced by Matthias. And Paul was an apostle of, an, of a special calling later in the book of Acts. But the apostles were these 12 men who had witnessed Jesus, who were with him, who saw him resurrected, and who were sent by the Lord to be his emissaries, to be his ambassadors, to take the gospel and to start churches and to tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter and the rest of the apostles, they were arrested by the religious authorities because of their faith in Christ. They were placed in prison, in fact. In Acts chapter 5, verses 40 through 42, the Bible says, After calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And then they released them. So they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ you know in our day we see little baby steps of further persecution of Christians it's not widespread to the extent that we hear about in other countries where the church has to be completely underground or the church has to be suppressed or people are uh, killed outright because of their faith in Christ but uh, we're, we're taking little steps toward further and further persecution of Christians. One lesson we should learn from the apostles is that when it does happen, that we not whine and complain about it, but that we rejoice because we've been considered worthy enough to suffer shame for Jesus' name. It should cause us to rejoice. We know from sources outside of the Bible that Peter ultimately gave up his life for following Christ. You know, just a moment ago, I asked you what you were willing to leave behind to follow Christ. Now I want to follow that up with another question. What are you willing to suffer for him? We don't have time today to go through all the annals of Christian history to talk about the martyrs who gave up their lives simply for following Christ, for taking a stand on the truth of God's word. But the pages of history are filled with the blood of the saints who did just that what are you willing to suffer what are you willing to give up in order to follow Christ when the persecution of Bible believing Christians comes widespread to our country will you be willing to stand will you be willing to lose your job will you be willing to lose your investments that you spent all of your life saving for will you be willing to lose your house to lose your freedom because there's the possibility that these things can be taken away. What are you willing to suffer in order to follow Christ? You know, Peter isn't the only one who knows what it means to suffer for following Christ. It, it may not be obvious to you at first, but and the reality is this, that you know what it means to suffer for Christ. How do you know what it means to suffer for Christ? It is because of this truth. It is because we reside as aliens look at verse 1 again Peter an apostle of Christ is writing to those who reside as aliens 
scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. All these places, by the way, are specific towns in modern-day Turkey. That's who he was writing to originally. But Scripture is very clear that you are aliens. You are exiles. What does that mean, to be an alien? It doesn't necessarily mean that the green type of Martian, you know, not that type of alien, but someone who, who we know what a, what a, we use the term illegal alien is. It's been a hot topic politically. We know what the term refugee is. It's someone who's left their home. It's someone who is, is without a home. It's someone who's living somewhere that is not their home. That is you as a Christian. You're living somewhere that is not your home. This is not your home. If I asked you for directions to your home, you'd probably uh, give me the address and I'd pull it up on Google Maps and we could meet there. But that's not really your home. You know the way home. It's through faith in Christ. And the Lord will lead you there. You know, usually an exile or an alien is someone that a nation expels from the country, such as a deposed former leader. Maybe the person is seen as a threat. Maybe the, the nation fears that that person, if he was allowed to remain in the country, he would uh, lead an uprising or do something wrong. The Bible says the followers of Jesus are exiles. We're exiles in this land. And exiles always have two things in common. Number one, their citizenship is located somewhere else. And number two, their current residence is temporary. Our citizenship is located somewhere else. Our home is not here and now, but it is with God and his kingdom. In this same book, later we're going to come across a, a few verses that we'll refer to repeatedly, including right now in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. It says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We're a part of God's kingdom. We don't belong to this world. We belong to God's kingdom. And one of the reasons we suffer is because it is part of God's plan. This is a difficult truth for us to really understand and to comprehend. Pastor David, why am I going through a hard time? Why would God allow something like this to happen to me? Why does evil exist in the world? Why am I suffering here in this life? God is not the author of evil. God is not the one who created suffering. But God uses evil instances and sufferings for our benefit. It becomes a part of his plan. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the last part, it says that we are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. According to the foreknowledge of God the Father. What's it mean to be chosen? To be chosen exiles means that it's not an accident, but it's a part of God's will. In chapter 2, verse 11, we read, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. In other words, Peter's saying in that verse that if you are a citizen of this world, if this is your home, then it's perfectly natural for you to engage in all the things that this world has to offer, to engage in 
uh, fleshly lust to engage in all of the carnality to engage in all kinds of uh, improprieties it's, it's, it'd be perfectly natural for you if you were if this was really your home but you're not a member of this home here on this world you are a citizen of heaven and so if you're a citizen of heaven if you are simply your existence here is simply as an alien simply as someone that's a temporary resident someone who's a stranger passing through a strange land if you see your life as that then what Peter's saying is don't carry on the customs of the land that you're passing through carry on the customs of your home the customs of your home are holy and loving and pure and joyful so keep those customs in your life you see it's not that we're just God's people we are God's suffering people there is no final rest for us in this world we are chosen as aliens and we're chosen as aliens because we suffer for our faith in a world that finds our beliefs strange they find our beliefs to be offensive you know I'll tell you this you'll never be able to stand up to the pressures of our ungodly society if you think that this life is all there is if you think that you can follow Christ and part of that belief system includes that this life is all there is if you can't see beyond this life to the citizenship that you have in heaven or in the kingdom of God if you can't see that you're going to struggle every single day of your life if there's nothing more than this life then the world is right and we're wrong if this life is all there is then why not live with all the decadence this life has to offer but this life isn't all that there is there's something more than this life there's something more than the sufferings of this world and that is what we live for once we realize that we are temporary residents of this world that we are temporary recipients of the sufferings of this world then you know living for God becomes so much easier you know, if you're truly living for God and you realize that you're simply a temporary resident of this place that you live right now, and someday you're going to be with the Lord and forever in heaven, and let's say someone insults you. Does it change the way you respond? It should. Let's say things go wrong financially. Does it change the way you view that? It should. Let's say something happens to your health and things don't go well there does it change the hope that you have if you know that your health problems your financial problems your relationship problems in this world are simply temporary then you can endure it and you can be okay and you can have a hope that lives beyond this world we are chosen to suffer verse 2 says according to the foreknowledge of God the father we're strangers and aliens and hence henceforth we we suffer according to the foreknowledge of god the father why why is it part of god's plan for us to suffer you see god is not malicious toward us he's not vengeful he's not hateful toward us god is loving and kind so why does he allow us to suffer why is suffering a part of his plan 
God knows that sometimes the most loving thing you can do is let someone go through, through the fire. Why? It builds character. And God is more concerned about your eternal character than he is about your temporary comfort. And so we suffer. And the suffering is not fun. The suffering is not pleasurable. But the suffering is temporary. The rewards on the other end are eternal. So keep that in mind. We suffer to become more holy and obedient to Christ. Verse 2 tells us this. We are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood. It talks about the sanctifying work of the Spirit. It's a big word, big theological word. What does that mean? Sanctification is the process in which the Spirit of God helps you become more like Jesus throughout your life. And so you become, in practice, what God has already declared that you are. God has said that you are holy. And if you are holy, then be holy. God has already declared you holy, so become that in your practice. Become that in the outworking of your faith. God's work in your life enables you to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood, verse 2 says. To obey Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. What's that mean? To be sprinkled with the blood of Christ. Well, it simply means that Jesus has paid the sacrifice to make you right with him. The sprinkling of the blood is an allusion to something that happened with Moses in Exodus chapter 24. In Exodus chapter 24, there was a covenant that was inaugurated. And this is what God's word says in verses 3 through 8. Then Moses came and recounted to the people all the words of the Lord and all the ordinances. And the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken we will do. Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. Then he arose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain with twelve pillars for each of the twelve tribes of Israel. He sent young men of the sons of Israel. And they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as peace offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood of the bull and put it in basins. And the other half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that we heard, excuse me, all that the Lord has spoken we will do and we will be obedient. So Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people and said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The Lord made a covenant with Moses and with God's people that day. And that covenant was inaugurated with sacrifices in which blood was shed and sprinkled on the altar. The people pledged their obedience to the God of the covenant. And then Moses took some of the blood of the bull and he sprinkled the people 
with the blood. And again in verse 8, he said, Behold, the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. The blood of that covenant signifies the forgiveness and the cleansing the people needed to stand in right relationship to God. If the people were to be obedient to God, if they were to stand in a right standing before God, they needed to be forgiven and they needed to be cleansed. Centuries later, Peter is writing to Christians that are scattered throughout western Turkey. And he said that you're chosen according to the foreknowledge of God by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And he said that you are sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. That means that you are forgiven and you are cleansed. And it was all part of God's plan. Yes, being an alien for a time may not be a pleasant thing and all of the sufferings that come from that. But can you see beyond that that God has not simply chosen sufferings for you? God has not simply chosen you to be an alien or a non-resident in this world. It's more than that. What God has also done is that he has sprinkled you with the blood of Christ. He's forgiven you, and he's cleansed you. The Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, and this is all part of the Father's plan. That should make the sufferings that you go through more bearable. There is forgiveness for everything you've ever done through the cross of Jesus Christ. God will no longer be a stranger to you or be an enemy to, to you but if you respond to his offer of forgiveness with faith he will be a loving father to you and all you have to do is receive Christ through faith and here's the best news of all God empowers us to endure our suffering with faith God empowers us to endure our suffering it's not simply that God has chosen for us a path, a difficult path, a path where we're an alien and we, where we have to suffer a little bit. But God has also given us the power to endure it. How? Through faith. Verse 2 concludes this way. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. You know, God's grace empowers us to endure our suffering faithfully. You know what God's grace is? It's a gift to you. God's grace is always a gift to you. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Scripture says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a, as a result of work, so that no one may boast. God has given you His grace. Grace means that you receive something that you don't deserve you receive something that you don't deserve you receive his love and his forgiveness you receive the gift of eternal life even though you don't deserve it that's God's grace God's peace is also available to us you know what God's peace is God's peace is actually 
a result of God's grace being in our lives. Because God is gracious to us, we have his peace. It's an inner quality of being able to endure suffering. God says to you today, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll be with you through your victories. I'll be with you through your times of suffering. I want you to consider not only Jesus who died on the cross and how he was steadfast in his faith in his own father, but I want you to consider someone else because sometimes when we think about Jesus dying on the cross for the sins of mankind, there seems to be a little bit of a, a cognitive distance between us and him. And what I mean by that is we, it's hard, to, it's hard to relate to that. I mean, we're never going to die for the sins of mankind. But there was someone else that I want you to consider. His name was Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Here Stephen was, just like you and me, a follower of Christ, just like you and me. He was bold in his faith. And he proclaimed a message that really got him in trouble because he was very bold to actually the part of the audience that had taken an active part in killing Christ. And Stephen shared the gospel with them, gave them an opportunity to respond in faith, to re repent of their sins and be forgiven for their role in killing their own Messiah. And here Stephen was at the very end of his life because they started picking up stones and they were stoning him to death. And as he was getting hit by these large rocks in his head and his body, he knew this wasn't going to end well for him at least not in this world. And it was then that you might, if you were an outside observer, look at Stephen and say, oh, look at that, God, God abandoned him. Why didn't God send his angels and protect him? Why didn't God make the minds of those that were attacking him confused and they, and they leave Stephen alone? You might look at that from the outside and say, where was God in the midst of that suffering? that Stephen endured. But that wasn't Stephen's perspective. As he was being killed, he said, I see the heavens open, and I see the Son of Man standing at the right hand of the Father. Now, everywhere else in the New Testament where it talks about the Son of Man talks about the Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. But here, as one of his saints is being put to death, Jesus stands. Some say that Jesus was standing in honor to receive, in honor of Stephen to receive him into, into heaven. But I think the Son of Man was standing because he was ready to go to war. Normally the king sits. But when the king's ready to go to war, he stands. God didn't abandon Stephen that day. God was with Stephen, and Stephen knew it. And Stephen had a closer experience with God than perhaps he had ever had before in his life. And Jesus did go to war. As a result of Stephen's stoning and death that day, 
Christians were scattered in many different places and they took the gospel with them. And the gospel spread to an incredible degree. And the Lord Jesus was taking his word out among the nations. Why? Because Stephen was willing to suffer on Christ's behalf. And Stephen knew that his God was willing to stand with him. And he would never leave Stephen. He would never forsake Stephen. I do not know what kind of suffering you may be going through today. I do not know what is coming up this week. I hope that this week you have a peaceful and joyful week and nothing goes wrong in your life. But I think we've all lived long enough to know that every so often something happens that we don't foresee. And if you have to go through a period of suffering this week, I want you to know that God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll always be with you, and he'll give you the grace and the peace to endure it for his glory.